There's a blogger by the name of Matt Nelson, and he wrote the following. He says, one of the greatest obstacles to becoming a committed Christian is that Christianity is challenging. The task of living a fully God-centered life is no walk in the park. How true is this? I'm afraid, though, sometimes that too often we present uh, this idea that Christian conversion, that deliverance out of sin, out of uh, lostness into salvation, is like the 1970s Johnny Nash song. Not Johnny Cash, but Johnny Nash. He wrote a song that I think probably some of you are familiar with. It's entitled, I Can See Clearly Now. Do you remember this song from the 1970s? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a what? Bright? What? Bright? It's okay. No one's going to judge you if you know the lyrics, okay? It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. In the second verse, oh yes, I can make it now. The pain is gone. All the bad feelings have disappeared. Here is the rainbow I've been praying for. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. And then, of course, the refrain, look around you, there's nothing but blue skies. Look around you, there's nothing. Look straight ahead, there's nothing but blue skies. What a, what a beautiful picture of life. Everything is clear, no more dark clouds, all pain is gone, all bad feelings are gone. And I'm afraid that sometimes we say this, if you just accept Jesus, it's all so much better. And it is better in many ways, but, but, but is deliverance in Jesus really mean that all the dark clouds are gone and, and all the pain is gone and, and all the struggle is gone? Do we see all the obstacles so clear now? Because we've, been ex- uh, because we've accepted Jesus. Jesus spoke a parable that we can read in Matthew chapter 13. It is known as the parable of the sower. And in that parable, Jesus said the following. He said, a farmer went out to sow some seed. And as he was scattering the seed, what? Some of the seed fell on the path. And the birds came along and they ate that seed up. Some fell on rocky places where, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, but, but it, because the soil was shallow, it, it dried out when the sun came up. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or even 30 times what was sown. This parable is all about the various responses to what uh, happens when a in people's lives when they hear the message of the kingdom of God, when they hear the message of salvation. But in that parable, the second analogy is, in this parable, is about the seed that is sown on rocky soil. It's sown on rocky soil. It is about a person who hears the truth of salvation and they actually accept the truth of salvation. In fact, not only do they accept it, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 21, he tells us that they accept it with great joy that they're joyful about this message. Deliverance has come. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. But then the rocks are there, and, and, and the Bible tells us that they represent these troubles that come into people's lives. And after acceptance of the truth, we would say after deliverance, those individuals who thought salvation meant all the dark feelings had disappeared, that, that the rainbows that they had prayed for are now going to be present. When the dark moments come back, those people actually disappear because that's not what salvation is. Paul told us in his letter to the church in Corinth, 
that the Old Testament writings, and he specifically references the book of Exodus, are an example to us. And so today we see what happens after deliverance, and what we see is there is a lot of rocky soil. There's a lot of trouble out there. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus chapter 13, as David just read in, in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, we read the following. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. The way of the Philistines, this was the way that was near. It was the logical route. It was the most direct route. It was the, the easiest route in many ways. It was the, the, the via maris, the way by the sea. And, and technically, scholars say that, that this direction, this way, that if they had gone that way, could have had the Israelites in Canaan, in the Canaan land, in just a couple weeks. But God did not send them this way. Instead, the Bible tells us in verse 18, so God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. We traditionally translate it uh, Red Sea, although the Hebrew actually says Yom Suf, which means the Sea of Reeds. So either way, God led them to a body of water. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Why did God do this this way? For us to understand that, we have to go back to the second part of verse 17. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. There is a larger point uh, I want to tie into today's lesson. But, but a side point that I want to quickly point out, which is significant to me and reminds me of, of how I should treat others and how I should respond to others in their spiritual journey Let's put a little modern spin on that last verse we just read. God did not lead the Israelites by the way of the Philistines, although that was the quickest route. For God said they aren't yet spiritually mature enough to handle the obstacles they may run into along that route. Here is the side point, something that I find interesting. God doesn't expect these people to be at a specific level yet spiritually. He recognizes they've just been delivered and they're not yet spiritually mature enough to handle going that other way. When I realize that God understands this about people, that God understands the, the psychological makeup of people in this way, it makes me think that, you know, when a new believer struggles with something that we don't understand, why are they struggling with that? Didn't they accept the truth? Why are, why are they having that issue? When our kids maybe mess up in a certain way that we don't think any Christian should, should ever mess up in that way, maybe we should pause and remember that the Lord himself understood and even prepared for the fact that the Israelites were not yet fully matured as Christians. They weren't fully sanctified. They were straight out of deliverance. They didn't have it all together. And that's okay. We should, we should be mindful of Ellen White's statement when she says, sanctification is the, the work of a lifetime. It's the work of a lifetime. And maybe have a little more patience with that. Not everyone is going to be as spiritually mature as maybe we want them to be. And guess what I've discovered? I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I've discovered that I'm not always as spiritually mature as others think that I should be. 
a little side thing to think about, about how God sees us and, and, and the grace that God gives to us. But we continue with the story. God sees their lack of maturity. He sees that they can't handle some of the obstacles that will be along that route, the rocks that will be in the way. And so he sends them another way. He leads them to the edge of a sea. He leads them out into the wilderness, actually, the Bible says, and then up to the edge of the sea. Now, the entire time they're on this journey, this initial voyage of saved and delivered people, they are not alone. Of course, they're with the hundreds of thousands of other Israelites and, and, and some of the Egyptians that went with them, but they also have a divine companion. The Bible tells us in verses 21 and 22 from Exodus chapter 13 that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud, the Bible tells, by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So here's what we have so far. They're led out of Egypt. They're set free from bondage. God looks at them, though, and says, we can't go this way, though, because they're not yet spiritually mature. And he decides to take them a different way. But the way that he takes them, though it doesn't have the same obstacles as they would face the other direction, it still has obstacles. The Bible still refers to it as a wilderness. It still tells us that, that they went up one way, and then God immediately told them to move again to another camp. And now they are along the edge of this sea. They are, they are in the wilderness, and they are backed up against a sea. But God says in the midst of all this that, that he is with them. This, he's represented in this pillar of fire and this pillar of a cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. But then as we turn into Exodus chapter 14, something happens. We see the trouble increase. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh changes his mind. In fact, not only Pharaoh, but all the Egyptians change their mind. They look around and they say, wait a second, all the people that were doing this work before, now who's going to do this work? We want our slave labor back. We want our slave labor back. And so they, they gather together, and Pharaoh gathers all of his army and all his chariots, and they head out in hot pursuit of the Israelites. And what happens with the the delivered people of Israel when they realize the army of Egypt is after them. What, what happens when they, when they suddenly realize that, that, that this, this people that they've just been delivered from are now pursuing them once again? Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And then the Bible tells us this. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, it would be so great if their cry out to the Lord was, Lord, we know you delivered us already from the hands of the Egyptians. We've seen how you've delivered us in the past, and we trust that you're going to deliver us in the future. When it, when it says they cried out to the Lord, it makes it sound good right there, but we quickly realize that this was a, not a cry of great faith. In fact, we realize how, how wise God is. God said, I can't lead you that way because there's too many obstacles that way, and I'm afraid with all those obstacles, you're going to just give up and turn back to Egypt. God Wisdom is being proven right here because they come across their very first significant obstacle and they're not crying out to God for strength or power or, or, or salvation. They're crying out to God in fear and in blame. Verses 11 and 12. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? There's a little bit of revisionist history going on here. We, we sometimes do this. 
We, we go through a trouble and we say, God, why did you put me in this situation? Or why did you do this to me? And it's a little bit of a religious history. If we really analyze our lives, we would see our responsibility in some of that. You may remember that, that God comes to Moses. God comes to Moses out of the bush. And what does he say? He says, I've heard the cries of my people. And so I'm going to deliver them. In other words, for years they've been crying out, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, and God responds to them, and now they say, wait a second, why did you deliver us? We wanted to stay in Egypt. You know, they wanted uh, their cake and eat it too. A little revisionist history. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we said, that we could stay and serve the Egypts? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in this wilderness. Now, we don't want to be too judgmental of the Israelites here. And we shouldn't be too quick to criticize their lack of faith. We should recognize what they must be feeling, probably what some of us have felt in our walks with God. This journey with God is new to them. They've been, now, they've, they've followed God. And right away on this journey with God, they're just beginning this journey with God, and God didn't take them out the way that they expected to go. God didn't take them along the, the direct and the easy route as they saw it in their own eyes. God saw something else, but they, they didn't fully see it. God instead leads them out into the wilderness. And then he leads them by this sea of water, this body of water. And, and, and the people that they thought they had finally gotten away from are now pursuing them, now, now within distance to strike them. And they're stuck between this army and this body of water that God led them to. Put yourself in their shoes. It's easy to criticize, but we might be the same, especially in our, in our infant stages of our journey with God. They're having a hard time dealing with this crisis. If they thought the deliverance meant no more rainy days, if they thought deliverance by God meant no more pain, if they thought deliverance by God meant no more bad feelings, if they thought deliverance meant... By, uh, meant it was always going to be nothing but blue skies, then this is a rude awakening for them. And probably we could say some of us have been in the same place. God, I'm a follower of you. Why, why is this disease happening to me? God, I'm a follower of you. Why am I struggling with this financially? God, I'm a follower of you. Why did I lose this job? God, I'm a follower of you. Why is this relationship breaking? We've probably been through those moments. Why did you bring us out here? We should have just stayed where we were at. At least we were familiar with that bad. Now we're in a whole new set of bad. But then something happens. Moses said to the people, do, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And then the Bible begins to describe something that is better than any of those Marvel or Avenger movies or whatever those things that are out there. I know they always have these amazing uh, uh, graphics and all these things, but this is actually real life. The Bible describes for us that the cloud shifts, and on one side of the cloud it is all dark, and the Egyptians are shrouded in darkness, but on the other side is the fire, and, and the Israelites have nothing but, but, but light and vision. And then the wind begins to blow, and and. and the, we've seen this in Charlton Heston's movie or maybe the cartoon you saw of Prince of Egypt. We've seen this, the, the waters begin to part and, and we've seen it on TV but we can't even imagine what it would have been like to be there in person. And the waters begin to part. Just imagine 
walls of water on either side and the wind dries out the ground and the, and the people begin to go through. And I'm sure in this moment, they'd be celebrating, man, this is great, okay, this is good. Now suddenly, their, their face being a little bit restored, but they're going through. But then the cloud must be removed because the Bible says then the Egyptians began to pursue them into the pathway. Wait, God, you're delivering us, but, but there's still trouble coming behind us. We're still having to deal with this trouble. The Bible says that the Lord stretched out his hand over the sea, that the waters may come, or that the waters apart, and, but then God looked down upon the Egyptians, looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And it tells us, and he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. Now, we don't know how he did this for sure. I know in the movies, the, the ground begins to soften, and it pulls off the wheels, and the chariots can't go over some of the rocks. The people are climbing over the rocks, but the chariots, we don't know how, how it was, but somehow these chariots are falling apart. God, God makes these chariots fall apart. And the people pass through, and then God says, Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 28, then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Trouble. The picture. God says, I'm delivering you from Egypt. They come out. We can be in Canaan in a couple days, in a couple weeks, in the promised land. But God says, no, you're not going that way. There's trouble there. You may not understand that, but there's trouble there you can't handle. So you're going this way. And God takes them to a whole new place. And, and sometimes we as believers like to think that when God takes us to that whole new place, that in that whole new place, there's not going to be any more troubles. But that's not the case. There's still trouble. It's a different trouble, but there's still trouble. Now they're trapped between the sea and the army, and, and God says, wait, hold on, hold on, don't, don't panic. They start, to, they start to blame and get angry and start to lose some faith, but God says, hey, I'm fighting on your behalf. And the waters begin to part, and they go through. And now they're, now they're thinking, great, we're passing through, but then the cloud lifts, and here come the Egyptians, and, and it seems like there's still trouble pursuing them. But, but I thought when, when, when I followed God, trouble stops pursuing me. Life is good. God says no. This, I mean, the Bible tells us this is not the case. There's still, in this world, there is trouble. But then God, of course, defeats the Egyptians. And something, something beautiful happens right after that. Verse 31, Exodus chapter 14. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What is verse 31 telling us? It is telling us, what I see a picture of here in verse 31, is that they've gone through this new set of troubles. And at the end of those troubles, they've matured just a little bit. 
And I say it just a little bit because as one person said to me, and I love the way they said this just after second service, they said verse 31 should say, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses for now. Because as we look at the rest of the book of Exodus, we see that another trouble comes and they struggle once again. The lesson I see in all this is that after deliverance, after we accept Jesus as our Savior, it's not as Johnny Nash sang. All of the dark clouds don't disappear. The rain isn't gone. There is still pain. There are still bad feelings. I sometimes look around and I see patches of blue sky, but, but a lot of times I look around and I see nothing but gray skies. And I see people that are faithful to Jesus that get sick and die. I see people that are faithful to Jesus that have, have others attack them and, and harm them physically and emotionally and spiritually. I see the devil continuing to pursue them. Sometimes rainbows seem few and far between. And I have to agree with Matt Nelson, the task of living a fully centered Christian life is no walk in the park. So what then is the difference? Why be a Christian then? What, what then is the difference? The difference I see is this. The Lord knows where we are at and what we can and can't handle. Yes, we may still have troubles over here, but we might have had a lot more troubles if we had not listened to the Lord in the first place. That's what this teaches us, that, that God looked at the whole picture and he said, there's going to be trouble over here, but the trouble over there is a lot worse. And God says, you know what, they're not ready yet to handle that. And so I'm going to lead them this way. The Bible tells us that there's no temptation known to man that God puts before us or that God allows to come before us that he will not help us to overcome. There's trouble over here, but you know, it might have been a lot worse if we had not listened. So the Lord says, you know what, listen to me and, and really, this looks like trouble, but this is a better way, trust me. The Lord knows what's going on in our lives. The Lord knows when the devil attacks us and we will get attacked, attacked emotionally, attacked physically, attacked relationally, attacked financially, attacked spiritually. All these things happen to everyone else in the world just like they happen to us. They happen to Christians just as much as they happen to non-Christians. But these, when these things happen to Christians, we have a God that says, wait a second, I will fight for you. While you're in the midst of your panic, he says, wait a second, I will fight for you. All those battles that you used to have to fight on your own, all those struggles that, and those troubles that you had that you used to have to struggle on your own, God steps in and says, wait a second, do you want me to fight this for you? I will fight this for you. You don't have to fight it alone. That's what God does. And in the process of the trouble of this world, where trouble used to destroy us, we realize that we come out on the other side and we've matured and grown just a little bit in God. The things that used to destroy us and we said, man, I'm never gonna get through this, now we come through that trouble and we realize, you know what, God has brought me through and I'm a little bit stronger for that than I was before. Because God takes what Satan intends for evil and he uses it for good. Deliverance does not mean a lack of trouble. It simply means that we have someone going with us that is watching over us and, and 
ultimately understands the trouble and, and guides us and wants to help us. He doesn't relieve the, all the trouble, but he promises us that he will take us through that trouble and that we'll be stronger on the other side. Jason and I were in California a few weeks back and we flew into LAX, which is Los Angeles International Airport. And uh, we went to get the bus to take the bus over to the rental car place. And the rental car bus was packed. It was just all crammed full. And I was sitting there and next to this family, there was a, a wife and a, and a husband and, and three kids. And we were all sitting there together. And I heard the wife say to her husband, she said, I think we should, should get the car and, and eat right away and take some time to eat and then get on our way. She goes, it's, all, it's less than 100 miles where we're going. I think we can do that and then get on our way. And I heard her say this and something began to stir within me, my nosiness, maybe my pastoral help or whatever it may be. And I, I said, excuse me, ma'am, uh, can I ask where you're going? And she said, Palm Springs or towards Palm Springs. And I said, and then I asked the next logical question, because you know, you don't want to insult someone. So I said to her, I said, have you ever been here before? And she said, no, we're from Chicago or near Chicago. And I said, well, let me tell you, you don't want to eat first and then get on your way. You want to get on your way and get out of here. And she said, okay. And I said, it's, it's a good drive if you don't, I said, if you don't get through LA by two o'clock, then it's going to get even longer. She goes, well, how long is it to to Palm Springs. And Jason jumped in and he said, three hours right now, but if you don't get out of here before two, it could be four hours or more. And both husband and wife looked at each other right away like their eyes got big. They just had flown with these three kids. They're thinking four hours in a car with these kids. And they said, that long for that short? Yes, that long for that short a time. And so they quickly pulled out their phones and they started looking about which way they should go, which route they should go. And I just decided I've already been nosy. I'm just going to keep being nosy. <laughs> so I said to them, can I see what route it's telling you to take? And, and it had them going south and then taking the 91. And I saw that and I said to them, I said, oh, 91. And before I could say anything, Jason jumps in. Oh, you don't want to go 91. You want to go north to the 60 and across. And I see some of you nodding your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. You, you want to go north to 60 and then across. And, and yeah, that might look like the most direct route and that might look like the, the best way to go. But trust us, there's a lot more trouble that way than there is this way. And they're like, okay. And by the way, just for those of you who haven't been there in a while, 91 is now a toll road too. So not only is horrible traffic, you got to pay a lot of money to sit in that horrible traffic too. So, uh, so always go north to, to 60. And they're like, okay. And they're looking and... and the husband says, now, are there going to be places, though, for us to stop and eat? I said, brother, this is not Illinois. I said, from here until Beaumont, you got nothing but people and nothing about but off-ramps to stop at. And I said, but here's a couple of places you don't want to stop. And I just showed him some areas on the map. You don't want to stop here, probably. Not really good place to stop. You don't want to stop here. You don't want to stop here. He's like, thanks. He said, is there an In-N-Out burger somewhere? <laughs> and Jason said, oh, yeah, there's plenty of In-N-Out burgers and of course, I had to speak up for vegetarians, so I said, well, go to Del Taco. I would go to Del Taco, but you know. <laughs> they thanked us for our, for our kindness and went on their way. Now, I don't know if they took our counsel or not at all. And the way we led them doesn't guarantee that they won't still have some traffic. The way we led them doesn't 
guarantee that that's the closest In-N-Out burger or that the best In-N-Out burgers are along there. But we did say this will help avoid some of the trouble. And I kind of think about God in that way. God's this God that's thankfully nosy. And he looks into our lives and he's hearing what's going on and he's saying to us, that may seem like the best way. And yeah, there's still trouble over here, but let's go this way. I'm gonna lessen it a little bit for you. And I'm gonna help you get through it. I'm gonna give you this counsel. I'm gonna give you this guidance along the way. Being a Christian is not being a person without trouble. It is being a person with a God that loves us and is always looking to intervene and say, how can I help relieve the trouble along the way? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 